2: I can't do this.
1: Do you want to do the first? You take the first right. note.
2: So many. So
1: many. So many. Damn books.
0: Not bad. Pretty good.
1: Three part harmony there. We actually, we got it. Yeah, almost. This a two and a half, and so and half part. <laughs> um, uh, welcome to uh, Luke Wiggett. Yeah. Hey, thanks, our, guys. Uh, our our trusty engineer. At this point, yeah. This just,
0: evening. yeah, because well, well, we should say why. Oh, why, yeah. Why?
2: Luke, you could say why if you want. Well, it's kind of been a long con, you know. um, Three or four months ago, I said, "Hey, you know, I know you've been kicking around a podcast idea. I've got some microphones and preamps and and whatnot. You should come over and record." And I was just slowly, just trying to, you know, just weave myself in so I could be on the podcast.
0: So thanks. Oh, of course. Woo! And uh, <laughs> thank you to Luke. There really wouldn't be,
1: there uh, wouldn't be a podcast. Uh,
0: so many
2: damn books without Luke.
1: Yeah. It's very true.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. And it's been I mean, there's worse ways to spend a Saturday afternoon. So it's been hey. it's been it's no, it's been great. You Put guys do all, <laughs> material. Yeah, you guys do all the heavy lifting. I just sit here and eat pumpkin seeds. It's
0: great. <laughs> but yeah, this is um Luke is uh heading out. He's hitting the dusty uh trail. <laughs> uh but so Luke's been sitting here and recording us up until this point. We thought we, he would Come in and provide the color commentary for Drew's in my uh, bookophilia.
1: Yeah. Um, it makes sense, dude. This, it's an event in yeah. our lives. This is Luke, uh, his last time recording us, and so we it, thought we'd talk about big event
0: books. And also, it's an event for us, because this is... <laughs>
1: Oh my god, it's the tenth
2: it's, it's the tenth, tenth episode. episode. Oh man. Well guys, I, I I you know I'm about thirty episodes into the podcast I do, and it's important in your relationship that you remember these these big <laughs> anniversaries.
0: Did you what what's what's the tenth the anniversary uh, supposed to be?
2: It's something uh
1: is made of sheepskin. Mm.
0: Well, yeah, event books also. I mean, let's get right into it. Um,
1: th- yeah, every year it feels like there are a couple, you know, where suddenly it's announced that this author is going to be publishing a book, and the publishing world goes nuts.
0: Right, and I think I think that you can sort of blame it if you want to place some blame mm-hmm. on on the Harry Potter book um, event. Yeah, which I personally grew up with.
1: Yep, me too.
0: Uh, heading to the bookstore at midnight, um, coercing a parent to. To take me. To,
1: yeah, to drive us there.
0: Christopher's actually dressed like Harry Potter right now for, for the listener. <laughs> yeah, accidentally. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> accidentally.
0: <laughs> look, Aloha alohomora. <all> right? <laughs> uh, no, but I, 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 I kind of get really into the idea of the event book just because, as we've talked about in the podcast before, living in New York City and reading the book that everyone is reading is actually kind of fun. Uh, especially things like, like Goldfinch is the the example that we've talked about before where it it was just a book that if you were reading it on a subway, someone else was reading it on the subway. Mm. Or if they weren't, they would be like, you're reading Goldfinch. I
1: just read it. Yeah. No, there's something really cool about it that it's a sense of community that, you know, everybody's excited about it. Whether or not they're liking it, everyone's like, well, I got to read this because everybody's reading it right now.
2: Right. Um, During the that big during the goldfinch year or years, uh, when I was working at the salon, this woman came in and she was reading a copy, but it was uh, large print. So you basically have to like roll it around in one of those rolly backpacks. (laughs) It was just so massive. So not only were people like, "Whoa, what is that? Like, is that like the Bible, like in the original (laughs) language?" So people go, "Wow, it's huge!" But then. Then she would go, oh, no, it's a large print of goldfinch. And then people would go, oh, my gosh, yeah, I, I've read it or I want to read it. So she didn't really get any reading done because the whole time everyone who was walking
0: <laughs> back and forth in the salon was asking her about her big old book. Right. She's holding it open like one of those ancient Bibles. <laughs> yeah, like the, the tome. Um, but this year there's some very exciting that I'm sure we're going to talk about on the podcast books like... um of course, Jonathan Franzen has Purity coming out in the fall. My God, the
1: minute that that was announced, everyone just stopped paying attention to everything else.
0: I, uh, I really enjoy Franzen books, so I'm very excited about Purity. The other event book that might not be an event, but I think they're going to try because they paid $2 million for yeah, it.
1: Yeah, and it's a debut novel. So. Right,
0: which a debut event book is pretty rare. Last you time, know,
1: I think, was Art of Fielding.
0: Right, and that, that made, worked. Yeah, yeah, that was That was a really fun book. That was a great book um
1: uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But this but, one is um Garth Risk Hallberg's City on Fire.
0: 900 page tome. Ugh. Set during the 77 blackout in New York. You wouldn't want to get that in the large print.
1: It's no. just no. be too much. That's all 1400 that, pages.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm really excited about that. I mean, it's book.
1: yeah, it's it's a cool thing like we're and, taking a risk on it.
0: And and there's something like I, I think it's kind of unfair to the book world sometimes because I sort of get made fun of for getting excited about books coming out and and I think that the book world deserves the type of of hype that something uh-huh. like the new Star Wars movie is getting where every trailer is dissected by thousands of websites and and everyone's like trying to figure out the name of whoever the person was on the fake landspeeder but I just uh I, I get excited about books like this partially because anticipation is almost as fun as reading the book itself. Mm-hmm. Like where I, where I was trying to figure out what the plot of the gold pinch was going to be or, or for, uh, for the book that we read this week, David Mitchell's, the bone clocks, which we knew was going to be one of his, uh, what, what, what is the name of this type of book? It's, uh, linked stories, I guess Linked kind
1: of
2: story and novels, uh, reverse that. <laughs> A novel in stories, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's not unlike um, Cloud Atlas in the sense that there are linked stories with characters. I mean, this one is it's more tightly linked than that, but yeah, it's short stories that come together to build a whole novel.
0: Right, and so this was six. This, so so, David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks is six, six pieces, mm-hmm. but not unlike Cloud Atlas. He likes this form.
1: I think it. Do, I think it suits him, to be honest.
0: Yeah, but I. I think that the event book, not only does it move in the national conversation towards a book, which I always want. Mm-hmm. It also has this really interesting. Sort of. Expectation that the book has to be amazing, and it's and it and it's something that like a, a Star Wars trailer doesn't. There's no version of that that makes sense. There's no way to explain a book like a trailer can.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, there are book trailers sometimes that but, Steingart has done a couple of Those yeah. are the exceptions that prove I, the rule that are funny.
0: I I'm, I'm going to I'm going to just say that they just stop spending money on those and do something else with it. Oh, that. I was going to ask you on book trailers? You mean? Yeah, I just I just don't think it's worth it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the wrong. It's I don't think it's right. I, I I I've never seen a book trailer that I thought was that is a great book trailer. I have thought eh, that's a good trailer for a book trailer. Right. Like I, I, I guess it's that's always okay.
1: for a book trailer. Yeah, yeah.
0: Even um, the best version of it is is night film for by uh, Marisha Pessel. That was a that was as good as a book trailer can get, and it was bad.
2: What about um. Has Miranda July done any for her book or did she do any? Cause I, I mean, you know, someone who's already in that world, I imagine could kind of kill it. That's oh, a good, yeah, question, that's a good
0: question. I don't know if she did one for, for the first bad man. She did. She has done some very cool uh, promotional stuff for the book. Mm-hmm. I have I one
2: question for you guys. So, you know, I live in New York also and I'm supposedly, I'm doing air quotes here, working on a book. I've never heard this term event book is where, what's the sort of, is this something that you guys came up with or is this something that I just
1: missed? I mean, I feel like it, I made me made up the term. It's,
0: it's sort of made up, but it's also, it's also more of a publishing world term. Uh, yeah. I I'm very late.
2: unpublished.
0: So, I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes sense. So, all right. But, okay. But <laughs> this is what I was trying to get at before was that it can also set up these unrealistic expectations sure. for the book. And and some people don't rise to the occasion. Uh, J.K. Rowling always did.
1: It, the I, thing is, like Stephen King puts out a book or two every year, and you know, like, it, and, and it's they not, aren't events. They yeah. aren't. It, I mean, people get excited because they're not. But, a, they're it, something like
0: Donna Tartt, where she writes one book every ten years. Mm-hmm. That's a huge exciting thing. Or or like we were saying with uh, or. Jonathan Franzen. He doesn't come out with a lot of books.
1: Yeah. Or even as people get, like Toni Morrison's putting out a new book, and that's, right. people are excited about that.
0: People are, uh, another one that people are excited about uh, is Kazuo Ishiguro. Oh yeah. my gosh, I'm mangling that name. <laughs> um, but he has that book, The Buried giant, giant, that's coming out in April, I believe. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, yeah, there's, this is a very exciting time for books. Like, I really think that. Someone was asking me the other day, you know, why do you care about current popular literature? Like, why not just read all the classics? And this is a question that comes up in our podcast a lot of of reading classics versus reading what's coming out now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really love about, about reading books that come out now is that it's an actual mirror to our times. Even if it's not about our times, this person was living now. And mm-hmm. writing now, and this was something that came out of the world that we live in that I understand and know yeah and i and I, I want to see what that begets, like because as a writer and as a reader, I want to see what what comes out of this world with all of its myriad challenges and and successes i mean that's that's
2: assuming though that people are are making <clears throat> you know statements about about the world now,
0: you no, know. No, no, that's I I don't that, I don't think it needs to be a statement about the world now. I it just came it, it's a statement about the world now because it came out now. Yeah,
2: I just I wonder, I mean, you know, you guys are talking about book events. I mean, are more more novels come out per year now than ever, right? Than ever yeah. in human okay. history. Yeah. Um which is good in some ways and of course bad in others. Um which you You, Christopher, could speak to that way way uh, more uh, clearly than I could. But I don't know. I'm just thinking of like some of the and these aren't new books, but um, some of the books, you know, even like you know, I love Kerouac. Um, I mean, he was he was holding up, you know, even on the road, which okay, take it or leave it, whatever. But like he was saying, like this is what America is right now. This is who you who you are. Who I believe you to be. This is who I hope for you to be. All these those things. Um, I mean, on the road, you know, you pitch that now. It would be very, it would be a very tough sell. It wouldn't be an ev- event. Um, I mean, still, even with that book, and I know, I know, you guys have other books to talk about, so I'll get out of the way. But um, I mean, he was carrying that book around with him for yeah. years. I mean, he had written by the time it was published in like '57 or '58 or whatever, he had already written like three other novels. I think Book of Blues, which is like a pretty sizable collection of of poems. Um, like he had, like, it took, it still took him a long time. Right, uh, right. But well, I
0: think that, I think that with our current culture of, of instant gratification, that the the Kerouac who would reach that world, they don't have the patience.
1: Well, the, the gatekeepers thing is interesting because as we talk about these event books, these event books are... Big deals to, uh, like the the Garth Risk kalberg book. Great. It's some okay. random dude's first novel, and it's a 900 page novel about New York in the 70s. On the like, if you just said that to somebody, like, "Hey, do you want to read a 900 page novel about New York in the 70s?" Somebody would be like, "Another one?" Yeah. <laughs> but it, it like it. <laughs> the gatekeepers have said this is this is going to be a big deal. So all right, the big the big event book of last year. As we've said several times now, really was uh, the new David Mitchell,
0: and and it's because uh, he, they, he, uh, David Mitchell sort of broke through in 2000. Was it 13?
1: A couple years ago, with yeah. the
0: Cloud Atlas coming out as a movie, even if it wasn't the most well received, it was one, something that a lot of people talked about. because well, the and, book
1: did very well, but it did very well in book circles.
0: And then it became an even bigger mm-hmm. deal after the movie came out. And so he kind of has this gigantic audience, in the same way that uh, that J.K. Rowling started to get a huger audience due to the fact that movies were coming out based yeah. on her books. Um, so he he had a lot of eyes on this one.
1: Yeah, and he um, he does an interesting thing with this one. He's a very self aware author, I think.
0: Well, he's um, he's like a nerd of nerdery. Mm-hmm. Like he really enjoys. Star Trek, and really gets into the all of the different ways that you can be a really deep fan of something. He is too. Yeah, and I think you can actually read that in his prose. Is like none none, none of his characters are lazy or or lazeabouts or like get struck dumb at any time. Like they're always like driven people.
1: Yeah, they're always very active in their own stories. Yeah, um, and that's across all of his books. And one of the very interesting things about this book in particular is that characters from across all of his books intersect in this novel. And it's sort of, he does like the Stephen King thing of putting all of his books into the same universe.
0: Before we get into whether or not that's a strength, um, what is The Bone Clocks about? I have a hard okay. time. Um. So you can go.
1: At the end of the day, it's about a centuries long battle between two sets of immortal humans. Um, and like, bear with me, the good guys. And like, there's a good guys and a bad guys team. The bad guys basically drink the blood of, of young children and that helps them extend their lives. The good guys live out a full life, die, and then are reborn into another body. Right. Um, And these stories, it takes place from, uh, hang on. I have it right here.
0: 1984 to 2043. So it's almost 60 years. It, the, the story really mostly concerns Holly Sykes, who we meet when she's 15 and then we follow her until she's nearly 70 Mm -hmm. or over 70. And, um,
1: well, yeah, that's the thing. The synopsis of this book, like, if you had to say what the overarching plot is, it's how she interacts with this this ongoing generations-long struggle. But the individual stories themselves are sort of self-contained um, – sto- like, there's a story about an Iraq war correspondent on vacation back home and struggling with whether or not he wants to go back. He's a photojournalist.
0: Um, I wondered about the interconnectedness. To go back to your point that 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 he was making this sort of David Mitchell shared universe, um, and and compared to that to Stephen King's uh, Stephen King's shared universe, it never feels like the point of the book. It always feels like, oh,
1: little Easter egg. Little, like, are you
2: in with Stephen King? Are you talking about like the Dark Horse, Not, or what are those? Dark uh, Tower, Dark Tower, dark, tower yeah. dark Horse, Dark Horse, like so, that world, or yeah, oh. yeah.
0: Well, m- more more just he just has connect he with the dark tower series and other things, he sort of just has connected his worlds. Um, Should but like a
1: mention of this character, like I read this yeah, yeah. book by the guy who's the main character of bag of bones or something. I
0: think people love that. Yeah. And, and and I think that people who are David Mitchell fans really love, love it in this, but I wondered, it started to feel like the point of David Mitchell was to, f- to understand his world and not necessarily to tell the story set in that world. Sometimes I, I didn't, I didn't want, I started to wonder if his interconnectedness had a point beyond just connecting.
1: Well, the thing is, I don't think, I don't think the interconnectedness is that obvious. If you've never read a David Mitchell novel before, or if you pick up any random David Mitchell novel, I don't think you'll, you'll necessarily miss the connections. Like when, um, I'm forgetting his name right now. When the old guy, from the nursing home in Cloud Atlas, who's the author, shows up, Timothy Cavendish, briefly shows up in, for like two lines, in um, a literary festival section in this novel. Like, if you don't know who he is, he's just some old guy who's talking to the main character, but... Right,
0: but even within this book, with the interconnectedness of these stories, when I'm reading about Crispin Hershey... Who is sort of the David Mitchell slash Martin Amos author character whose whose new novel has just been trashed by a prominent literary critic? I I I am not quite as as. Involved in the story because I'm sort of waiting for Holly to come in, or I'm waiting for the urologist and the anchorites to come in, or I'm waiting for Jacko, uh, Holly's younger younger sibling, to be mentioned. Like I'm sort of waiting for that. So I, I'm I don't know. Like with this in, with the sort of uh, sequential uh, sectioned stories of this, I, I I was sort of always waiting for it to get to connect again. I, it almost felt like a disservice.
1: Well, I think that the same thing can be said about Cloud Atlas, though. In each of those sections, even though there's no character who travels through, it's that sense of, I just read the first half of this story about, you know, this composer, and now suddenly I'm reading the first half of this story about this investigative journalist. And you're like, how, how do these things connect? And that actually was my great problem with Cloud Atlas, was that by the time I finished the novel, I was like, so what was the point here? Right. Whereas this to me did feel more plot driven because there was the connective tissue of Holly
0: with Stephen King. I feel like if I go back and read one of his books, I'm going to get an amazing story and I might get another little piece. So like in King, it's more of like a little Easter egg, like, Oh cool. Right.
2: But this, it's, it's just too loud that the, yeah, it feels loud.
1: I See, I don't think it is though, because you're talking about, you're not even talking about necessarily like Timothy Cavendish showing up in the middle of this or a reference to the Cloud Atlas sextet, which are like the Easter eggs that do show up. in. This.
0: No, it, it, for me, it's more like I wanted to spend more time with Hugo Lamb, but he felt like that was done with that section. So he was moving on.
1: Yeah, but so I don't think that's necessarily a problem.
0: And it was for me, though, because when, when we left Hugo Lamb, I was like, well, that guy was really interesting. I just I just spent 100 pages with him and he's gone.
1: I mean, this is the thing, we're going back to sort of the, the problem with event books sometimes. You wanted something different out of the book than the author wanted to write.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and I, I fully admit that my fascination with Hugo Lamb <laughs> has a lot to do with my fascination with uh, the Tom Ripley series by Patricia Highsmith. Uh, Tom Ripley, which was immortally played by Matt Damon in *The Talented Mr. Ripley*, an incredible, incredible movie, an even better series of five books, which fans of it call the Ripleyad, which I love. Yeah, that's a great name. Uh, but when when you when you read Hugo Lamb, and even at, there's a point where someone says, "Ah, isn't the talented Hugo Lamb?" Like you can tell that Mitchell was almost writing. T- uh, you know, Tom Ripley fan fiction.
1: Uh, Oh, be generous, pastiche. It's not fan fiction. There's an important distinction there, I think. I, I,
0: I think that it's pastiche that dipped into fan fiction. It it felt very close to me. I think, uh, just to
2: sort of interject, um, I'm just thinking about like these books in particular event books that the people who are, are likely to pick them up more so than like, Oh, Dennis Johnson has a new book out. Like this is a, wildly different audience, right? That The people reading these books, I mean, it's its fascinating to hear you guys uh, dissect it and sort of explicate what's going on in the book, but I was just thinking that most of the people who probably pick this book up uh, treat it differently. They go, this is what he gave us. Right. Um, whereas, you know, you're saying like, I wanted this, I wanted that. I wonder how ubiquitous <laughs> that feeling, just in general in reading, like, you know, I really wanted more of that, or does the just the average reader not someone who hosts a book podcast Um, just go, Oh, this is what it is.
0: You know what? No, I feel like people go, no matter what the book, because of the, because of the way you go into any undertaking, because a book is an undertaking in the same way that a movie is an undertaking, the same way that, you know, going to a restaurant is an undertaking of your life um, is, is that you end up thinking like, I'm going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to have a nice meal. And then I'm going to go home and think about that great food that I had. And you go and you sit down and you want pizza, but they sit down and they give you this weird pizza that wasn't what you were expecting. Like it's the same sort of thing. It's where, where your expectations have to meet somewhere in the middle with what's being given to you. And so my expectations, I knew what this book was going in. I knew it was six sections, but I, I wanted a completion. I wanted to feel at the end of it that these six sections came together into a single story and i felt like by the fifth and sixth sections he it almost felt like not lazy but that he felt he needed to tie it up with a neater bow which he, which is why the fifth section in particular has like a, a quite amount of uh, of expositional well
1: the fifth section is the one that You know, most of the critical reviews of this book, it was like, "This book is great. It's David Mitchell doing it." And then there's this chapter that's just all about these fucking anchorites and horologists and whatever, and it's terrible.
0: But I can see where that. I I was not expecting to. I was not expecting to agree because I love fantasy books. Mm -hmm. I love David Mitchell's writing, so I thought, "Oh my god, I'm so excited for a David Mitchell fantasy section." But by the time I got there. All I could think of was just like why is why is this coming now? What what why couldn't he why couldn't have, have this been seated and talked about before? Like it's it, I wanted to love it.
1: Well, I feel like it what like in the first chapter, it's it starts out with just it's this young girl, she's an island, she's just hanging out, doing her thing, whatever. Her brother's gone missing. She's just sort of having this little odyssey. And then it I mean, I remember sitting there reading it and just feeling like I had been hit cuz all of a sudden weird stuff happens and it's sort of inexplicable and she, like, was it a hallucination? Was it what? And then it goes away and we jump to the next chapter, the Hugo Lamb chapter and it's just a sense of like, what? And I felt like each, each chapter had this element of, for me, it was like a puzzle and I was solving the puzzle along with the book and that sense of like, here's this information, here's, and then finally being like, here's all of this information, here's the, like, And I was just right there with...
0: But at the same... I kind of felt like... I kind of felt like in the same way... uh, uh, Like, I had been given... Okay, so I have like 500 pieces of a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I've put together 300 pieces of it. And then David Mitchell was like, Oh, shoot. (laughs) Uh, And he came in and he was just like... There you go. And it just sort of filled it in where... I mean, ultimately, I guess what I'm asking for is like another 600 pages of this book... Of, of these characters, which I, I, and I would have read I would have read a, a 1200 page well, yeah, uh, David I mean, Mitchell book because, he's because he's an writer. incredible writer. He really is. And, and all, all of my caveats aside, I had an enjoyable time reading this book. But I think that the the perfect example of of how I felt about this book is is best indicative of this last uh, chapter and section of the book where it's set in 2043, and it's his version of the apocalypse, um, a post-apocalyptic world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... All I could think of was just like uh, I'm I'm out. It was almost like uh, the last ten minutes of a college class, where Uh like the the professor's like, "Oh, I have one more thing," and you're like, "No, you're zipping up your transport. like just (laughs) very slowly." slowly, (laughs) Yeah, I've already put away my notebook, man. So good, uh, good luck.
1: I mean, for me though, it was like it was the end of Holly's story. It was bringing it back around to that sense that Holly. Holly is the one who we've been following mm-hmm. through all of this.
0: Totally, but I felt like her story was ended by the fifth section. It was almost like I didn't. It was almost like a re, like a hundred page epilogue. Oh for yeah, me. I
1: mean, I I felt like it yeah. in that way. It felt like, oh, hey, I get. But for me, it was like I get more time with these guys. I get, I get this hundred page epilogue.
0: I wonder if it. I, I wonder if this is one of those things that a lot of Mitchell fans are really into, but people who aren't necessarily indoctrinated don't aren't aren't as big a
1: yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I prior to reading this had only read Cloud Atlas, and while I liked it, I liked it in a clinical sense. I thought it was a clinically well-executed novel, but I didn't feel the passion that so many Cloud Atlas fans feel about it.
0: Right, and my my Mitchell before this was Black Swan Green, which might also explain why I was so excited about the Hugo Lamb chapter mm-hmm. because it was it was most uh, tied to the the uh, the Black Swan Green.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's his, he. Hugo briefly appears in Black Swan Green. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, uh, Drew, one of the last things you said about, like, sort of feeling that passion. I mean, so much of this conversation, uh, it, it it sounds to me like you felt, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you felt like it was written, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if, because I, I feel like the books I really love don't feel written. Yeah. Um, that's,
0: that's what this feels like a little bit is it feels very much like David Mitchell showing off. Like this is in it. Yeah.
2: I just want to, you know, the, my favorite books, I just feel them. I'm not like, how did he do this? How did, you know, it just, it just, the book happens to me. That's how it's... I
1: feel about this is that as I was reading it, it was just ha- like, I okay. couldn't put it down. Mm. It was uh, tied with, um, vandermeer's southern reach trilogy for the best thing that i read this year because it just like from the minute i picked it up i was missing i was missing my stop i was staying up late and like that doesn't happen to me ever right um
0: and i I, and i think and i wonder with expectations with event books and also with just like you know being friends with you like you loved this book and i was like all set to for this to be like this mm -hmm. like huge gigantic success for me And I didn't, I didn't have that same reaction to it. And So I wonder, I wonder if I started maybe even by the, you know, that section I'm talking about, that fifth section, or I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I feel the same way.
1: Right. I mean, that's always interesting about expect. Like, if we could. approach... As you're
0: almost talking yourself
2: out of a podcast here, because <laughs> in the sense that you do recommend books, and you're saying, "Don't you recommended the book?" and then I didn't.
1: Thank, thank God you just said that because I was about to say oh, a sorry. thing that would be like, wait, well, ten episodes, we're done." Thanks very much.
0: Keep listening you guys.
2: (laughs) Christopher
1: has his face really close to the mic right now. Yeah,
0: I'm getting
2: the sense that that's going to be cut out. But um, (laughs) no, but that's one of the reasons why. You know me
0: so well. That's one of the reasons why
2: I, I, I so rarely recommend books to people because I don't know, like I don't. I don't want to build it up too much or not enough. And I don't want them to be thinking, I wonder what Luke thought about this or what he thinks. Why not though?
0: I actually, I actually do find that to be interesting is, is, is that world of like Luke recommended this to me. So not only am I interested in this story, I'm also interested in like, what, what did you see that you made me want to listen to it or read it? I don't know. Do we wrap this up now? I don't know.
1: (sighs) I mean, it's the thing of, we certainly, I think we could go on talking about this for a while and breaking it down into very specific things, but that's not necessarily interesting. For hold me. on, hold, before
0: we continue and drop this or whatever, I do want to talk about the tournament of bookness of this book. Yeah. Um, David Mitchell won with Cloud Atlas. The
1: inaugural tournament of books.
0: Uh, the first year. So this is kind of cool that in the 11th year, he's coming back with this book, um,
1: did um did Thousand Autumns get in?
0: Yes, it didn't win.
1: Yeah, it didn't win, but I wasn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was on. I think I'm almost positive.
1: Somebody can correct us. It's
0: yeah, we
2: can take that out. Yeah, we'll issue a retraction. Hey, Kimmy, get in here. We gotta look something. <laughs> up.
1: Um.
0: So I I I do think that if the person who gets this book is a Mitchell fan, they're probably going to be into it. I think if they're not a Mitchell fan, I think it'll probably go down. Interesting. Cause I don't think that this, that the last third works from a pure fictional standpoint.
1: If you, all right, let me, let me give you one other hypothetical around this though. If you've never read David Mitchell before mm-hmm. and you go into this, you know, whatever it's been given to you, you have to read this book. Um, I think that it, if it hits the right reader, it could still work.
0: Yeah, I, I think it could work, but I don't... Long books tend to be judged on ambition. And and The Paying Guests and, and The Brief History of Seven Killings both seem like books that are more ambitious with their length, while this one feels a lot more like six books shoved together for me.
1: Interesting. I would say... The amb- you, it could be seen as ambitious uh, in the sense that it does. It's six stories, and each of them sort of exists in a different um, in a different modality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the building's Roman, It's the the talented Mr. Ripley. It's the dystopia. You know, so there's. I could see somebody being like, "Look, yes, it's David Mitchell showing off. Like, look at I can work in all of these different with all of these palettes." Um, but that, you know, that's the sort of ambition that when you pull it off, which like if you read any of these sections individually, I think you're like, he's working in a genre and he's doing it, whether or not it succeeds as a book.
0: That's a good point. Why don't you read from the, the Hugo Lamb section, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you read Um, from that? And, and I mean, you'll just sort of see why David Mitchell has a huge fan base. Yeah, so why don't you read the the Hugo Lamb section, uh, which this is right when the sort of magicalness of the entire book starts to hit this character.
1: Correct. Uh, January the 2nd. Remember. Mr. Feniger looks at me. His pupils shrink. I feel a pinprick in my forehead. I... Blink, and the Land Cruiser is gone, and I find myself on a wide, long, rocky shelf on a steep mountainside in high-altitude sunshine. The only reason I don't fall over is that I'm already sitting on a cold stone block. I huff a few times in panicky shock. My huffs hang there like vague, blank speech bubbles. How did I get here? Where is here? Around me are the roofless ruins of what might have been a chapel, perhaps a monastery. There are more walls further away. Knee-deep snow covers the ground, a shelf ends at a low wall a few feet ahead. I'm in my ski jacket, and my face and ears are throbbing and warm as though I've just undergone hard exertion. All these details are nothing alongside the central gigantic fact. Just now, I was in the back of a car with Mr. Fenninger, Darnock was driving, and now... uh, Now... Welcome back, Elijah Darnock says to my right.
2: Thanks for reading that. Um, because January is actually my birthday. So oh, yeah, I hey. appreciate
0: it. Hey, happy birthday. Yeah. Happy Thank you. Birthday. Okay. So so yeah, I mean you can tell that he's a good writer. Yeah. And and that I, I mean, I, I I gotta admit that I was very excited about the mystery and the magic still at that point. But it felt unexplored. Especially because like very soon after that you're done with Hugo.
1: Right, the chapter ends. He sort of does do that each time. It's like, yeah. and now here's the stuff, and we're moving on. Yeah. yeah, I can I can see how that rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I
0: don't think that, I think that this is totally worth your time. I think it's a really interesting book. Uh, it didn't quite hit the notes for me, but it's still fascinating. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's made me want to go back and now read the rest of his.
0: Right. I, I'm probably going to read Thousand Autumns actually, because yeah. I'm really excited about that. And and also, if you're a David Mitchell fan and you are kind of curious about what what characters appear where, there's a really nice uh, graph.
1: Oh yeah, New York Magazine did it. Yeah, But uh, you can Catherine you can Schull's Google article. just
0: New York Magazine Bone Clocks connected David Mitchell. That's it's also Google a great search. Yeah. It's a
1: great piece about Mitchell and what he. If you're if you're uncertain based on you're hearing what Christopher and I are saying, and you're like, ah, am I gonna like this? Yeah, read that because she piece. does a nice
0: job. Yeah. yeah. But now we should talk about uh, what you should read next. I it, it, uh, Assuming you're reading a tournament of books books, but <laughs> in between something pulpy, something fun. Yeah, <laughs>
1: another, another or another
0: if you're not uh, reading tournament of books at all and you're going to read something else. Why don't we, yeah, yeah we're going to throw it to Luke. Sure. What do you got for us? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been sitting through what
2: I've set through 10 of these. So I've got, I got a bunch of recommendations. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I mean, just stop me when you want to. But um, yeah, it was kind of like, as you guys were talking on the last taping, I was just kind of looking through my Goodreads, which again is not public. I hope because it's very embarrassing. We <laughs> short the number of books I've read with a, an MFA and a um, English degree. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, well, I mentioned McGlue. I think that's a great book. It's, it's really a novella. It's like 120 pages. It's gritty and, um, it's, it's really beautiful. And she's, she's an incredible writer. She's had, she just had a a piece come out in, um, the latest Paris review, which is awesome. Um, and she's a very nice person too. And I'm going to sort of kick it way back sorry, Christopher, uh, not way back, not way, way back, but, um, I don't know. I was thinking like just the books that have kind of like impacted me, um, like post office by Bukowski. It's um, a great book. I, you know, I was saying before we started recording, I, uh, I, I hate my current job and I've hated a lot of, I've hated, I don't hate working, but I do hate jobs quite a bit. <laughs> and I think Bukowski, who was a very hard worker, um, it really nails the job thing. Um, and then just actually while you guys were just talking, I was thinking about um, Olive Kittredge. Have you guys read that book? Yeah. I think the way that those stories are connected uh, much more subtly than it sounds like this book, but um, that's a great book. And I, I guess they're, they made it into an HBO miniseries. Have you guys watched I that? I haven't seen it yet.
1: No. I haven't seen
0: it either.
2: Um, Trip Trap is a great book by Kerouac. Um, It's just this little tiny little jammer. I think it's put out by City Lights. Um, And it's a book that he and his friends just kind of scribbled on the road while they're, you know, traveling. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really, it's just so funny. It's a bunch of haiku and little like scenes and anecdotes. And there's a really great description of uh, where they're talking. I think it's like he and maybe Burroughs or one of those guys talking about how how ridiculous it is that we use toilet paper and we don't have
0: bidets. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever, uh, had, do you ever see kill your darlings with them?
2: I haven't. I've watched clips. That's the one that's based on on the road or the hippos.
1: I think it's on the road.
2: No, the hippos. Is it? Oh, is it? I have not. No. I've read the book. It's, I I enjoyed the book, but probably mostly because I really love Burroughs and Kerouac. Two more. Maybe. Is that okay? Yeah. Maybe five more. <laughs> um, uh, Youth by J.M. Katsia is one of my favorite books. Um, I read that when I was in college, and I just think, man, he's uh, Katsia is amazing, and I actually met him at San Jose State around that same time, and he's a super weirdo, does not <laughs> want to talk to people, but uh, it was nice and signed my book. Um, and I'll just end with, uh, with uh, Sweet Thursday, by Steinbeck. Um, I feel like one of the things I was really surprised by coming out to New York uh, three years ago is how few people have read Steinbeck. I mean, I grew up in Santa Cruz and Steinbeck kind of lived in Santa Cruz and, and Monterey and wrote a lot about that. And Sweet Thursday is this uh, the sequel to Cannery Row. Oh. And it's uh, it's just, you know, cool and sad, really tender. I love it. I, f- I actually finished that book, Christopher. Uh, I finished it in the the green room at Pergs. Oh, so yeah. like the, the kind
0: of back room. Uh, Luke and, and I both, I used to live in Santa Cruz. I went to school there. So we had that Santa Cruz connection. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I spent all my
2: time like in high school and college there and I finished that book in that back room and was
0: just Crying, just openly huh. weeping. Yeah, I, I've cried a few times in in uh, bookshops in Santa Cruz, <laughs> in uh, cafes. Uh, Drew.
1: Oh. Um,
0: do you want to recommend a book? Thanks for letting me rattle off so many guys. No, no. Uh, yeah, man. You've had to listen to us talk about <laughs> hundreds of books. So,
1: um, in in the continuing spirit of taking a break from the TOB, um john jeremiah sullivan's Pulphead, which is a collection of essays right
0: you've talked about it before a yeah we've bit. talked
1: about it here it's just it it's a great thing to like all right i need some time it's not fiction but it's written like fiction so it's cool to like if you need a break you take a break and you read an essay from it um yeah it's just it's a nice way to like you don't get too invested in anything but at the same time you've read something and you feel Phew. all right cool
0: yeah i'm actually going to recommend seconds a uh a graphic novel by Brian Lee O'Malley. He wrote, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. And this was his book that he just released, um, in 2014 last year. Oh, cool. And it's uh, about this girl who works, who is a chef and she finds in her like restaurant, these mushrooms that give her a second chance on a day or a moment and sort of as sh- how she abuses that power. And it's really, really fun and uh you can probably read it in like two hours and then go back to your tournament of books reading. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's it for the the, the episode.
1: Yeah. Um coming up though, it's gonna be March.
0: And it's gonna be the tournament of books.
1: Uh, and so we we're gonna go we're gonna go weekly.
0: Yeah, we're gonna move weekly. We're gonna release an episode every weekend that's gonna talk about what happened. You in guys should tournament. call it I got a good idea.
2: March Madness.
0: Yeah, they'll give up on basketball and move to books. Um, But, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm very excited to get into it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun.
0: So uh, thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah, and um, Luke, tip of the hat. Yeah, tip of the hat
0: to you, sir.
1: Happy trails. Thanks so much, uh, guys. We're
0: going to miss you, you know, tacitly judging us in the corner. (laughs) Oh, it's been great. I love, like I
2: said, spending my Saturday afternoons over in the corner, just kind of judging you guys has been great, but no, I, I love that you guys are gonna keep on keeping on, and I'll be able to listen to it. It'll be nice, and it'll be fresh because I'll just be like loading it into my iTunes and hearing it for the first time, all all cut and produced. Mm, sounds nice. It's yeah. delightful. It's a it's an experience that you'll never have. Yeah.